Beatles were going to be here this morning, did you? Yeah, that was great, guys. Hey, my name's Scott. I uh, serve here as one of the pastors. I'm really glad that you decided to be with us today. Uh, before we jump into the sermon uh, for the, the, the today, I can't get my words out, um, I want to tell you two quick things. One, I want to follow up on what Rich said about volunteering. We say to you every week when you leave, we say, listen, you're sent now to love God, love people, serve the world. If you want to live a life like Jesus, guess what you have to do? Three things. Love God, love the people around you, serve. So I hope that you have some way that you uh, put that into practice on a day-to-day basis in your life. Hope you have some way that you interact with God on a day-to-day basis. Hope you have a way you interact with your neighbors and the people around you and you treat them with kindness and love and compassion. And then I hope you have a place that you can serve. Now, we want to make it possible for you to get connected to other people here in a church our size. It's hard to get to know other people. It's just one of the realities of a church our size. One of the ways you can do that is serve. And so we've got all kinds of things. You can be a greeter. You can be an usher. You can uh, work in tech stuff. You can, um, if you work with kids, work with students, uh, that's a way that you can serve. I don't know if you, you realize this, but what the church does, what the mission of the church is, is, this is my way of thinking about it, is what we do is we work on the software of people's lives. And so the church uh, changes the software. And if you know how computers work, if you change the software, you change virtually everything about what you see and feel about the computer. So I know it's not the greatest, you know, personal warm analogy, but, but that's kind of what the church does. We work on the software of people's lives and change the software. And when you change the software, you change everything. Uh, in fact, someone did a study about the impact of a, a local church in a community. And they said that a church even smaller than ours, and I kind of dug into this because I'm like, this, eh, I don't know if that's right the economic impact uh, that if you had to pay for the, what happens through the life of a church, what would that cost? The economic impact is somewhere around the neighborhood of $4 million on the economy of our area. Well, that's, that's the power of the, the local church, of God's people, of God's family. So we want you to serve, uh, reallifecc.org slash serve. If you don't have a place you're regularly doing that, we'd love for you to be part of the, the team that makes everything happen. We're a volunteer-driven organization. That's how we work. That's it. There's just a few of us that are on staff, paid, and, uh, but you're the ones that make it work. So, so thank you for doing that. Second is the Christmas offering, one day's wage. I want you to have a conversation this week with your family, whoever it is in your, uh, your home, and say, hey, we, what are we going to give in the Christmas offering? How are we going to participate? We're giving away every cent. Nothing stays here, $75,000. If 500 people give $200, which is the average wage in our area, we figured out the dollar amount, we will crush. What's 500 times 200? You know, what's $100,000? We'd crush that and be able to meet every single need. And then uh, you're going to deliver, locally, you're going to deliver a check to the person that you nominate, reallifecc.org slash Christmas. And that's how we'll get to do the Christmas offering. So I hope you'll be a part of that. Well, our practice is to read a passage of scripture together. I would invite you to stand with me if you would. And we read this scripture aloud. I'll read it. I want you to stay there. Uh, If you have a Bible, leave it open to Luke chapter 2. There's some passages in here I'm going to have you read out loud that are in yellow. And uh, I'll read it uh, out loud and you can follow along as we go. Luke chapter 2. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Read this aloud with me, would you? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom 
will never end. I'm going to read this aloud. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And read it aloud. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing. Well, we're in a series as we uh, prepare for Christmas. We're calling it Christmas is not your birthday. And today what I'd like to talk to you about is uh, how to get your soul back. Here's what I know about life, and you don't have to be an adult for very long to find out about it, uh, is that life shakes us and changes us, often for the worse. Uh, You get a phone call, you get a text, you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis. There's a sentence that comes down from the legal system. Uh, There are all these things that happen that change us and bring into our lives heartbreak and heartache. And the effect that it has on you and on me is often to numb our soul. And so we kind of go dead on the inside and we lose our soul. And if you, if you were able to get your soul back, you would become the kind of person that you would hurt, but you wouldn't crumble. Because see, when you don't have a soul, you crumble. Uh, You would be the kind of person who would feel, and it's not that you would shut off your feelings, but you wouldn't go numb. You would be, in in the way I like to think about it, you'd be a person who's a hope dealer. You know, I mean, there are people who deal all kinds of stuff, but you'd be a hope dealer. You'd see the interactions that you have with other people as a way to transfer hope. And so you'd be the kind of person who changes things instead of being changed by things. So I want to talk to you about that today, about how, how you can get your soul back. So before we do that, would you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, got some hope. You want some? Be a, be a little hope dealer, right? Yeah. You didn't know you could deal hope. You can deal hope, right? So this is the series, this is the time uh, in, the, in the year that's known as Advent. Advent means uh, the arrival or the, the coming of something. And what we're talking about at a time of Advent is we're talking about what the soul of our country needs. Don't you feel like the soul of our country needs something? It's like this moment in the life of our country where we're going, what is going to happen? This is why people put their hopes in a political leader and say, man, if we get the right person in office or if we get the wrong one, uh uh-oh, things things will happen good or bad depending on who we get in office because we're wanting hope. You know, we want something better. But I would say more than just the soul of our country, it's the souls of the people in America that need something. We need something to bring us hope. Because here's what hope is to the soul. Hope is like light to the soul. Have you ever been camping? And if you like to camp, you might like the dark. But when, when it's dark and it's at night, and if you're camping, if you've ever done this where you've camped and you've just had a sleeping bag and no tent, and you hear things in the woods, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And you go, oh, and then when that first light of dawn breaks in the morning, you're like, oh, hallelujah, I'm saved, right? Hope is like that. Hope is like light for the soul. Hope is is something coming into the soul. And so at Advent, we, we get the message that Jesus has come into the world, and he's for the world, and he's created a people who are also for the world. So the message that we, if we're listening at Advent is that Jesus has come into the world, that God has not given up on us, 
and that God empowers you to make a difference in the world. This is, this is what Advent's about. Now, what we've titled the series as we're going through Advent is that Christmas is not your birthday, and the reason we've titled it that is because what we understand is if we pay attention to Christmas, the way it gets practiced in our country, uh, basically everything is set up to keep the real message of Christmas out, right? I mean, it's just like everything reinforces for us that Christmas is my birthday. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I'm wanting to get. That Christmas is my birthday. We were at uh, Bass Pro yesterday. My middle son, Corbin, turned nine. It was his birthday. And so on our, on our kids' birthdays, we let them pick where they, we take them out to eat in the morning for breakfast, and then we let them go somewhere they want to go. And we, where do you want to go? I want to go to Bass Pro. Okay. Bass Pro, here we come. And they've got this whole thing set up. It's kind of cool. This free stuff you can do and a little carousel and all this stuff. And we got there in the big long line. And I said, uh, someone, I walked up and I said, hey, what is this line for? They're like, oh, this is the 230 line. Like, 230 line for what? It's to see Santa. I mean, this line forever. Now, in there, Santa, you want, if you stood in line for seven hours, you could see Santa and get a picture with Santa with your kids. And so all the parents are dressed up and the kids look nice and their hair is combed and there's Santa and his elves and the whole bit. And, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but don't we, in a way, I mean, want our kids to have this sense of wonder about Christmas? And so this is one way that parents instill that in their kids, like they take them to see those things and kids get a picture of something bigger about life. And it's one of the positive things. But one of the negative things about it is that we're basically, and this is, be honest, we're kind of teaching self-centeredness as a value while we're hoping for a selfless generation. Isn't that kind of, sort of, what's going on with, I mean, we're teaching them, go to Santa and tell him your list of things that you want, right? Isn't that kind of what we're doing? I, I read a management article, you don't even have to read the article to know what it's about, but it, it said this, this was the title, it was, on the folly of planning for A while hoping for B. Right? We want a selfless generation of children, so we're going we're gonna to teach them how to be selfish and think only about themselves, right? This is kind of what, this is kind of the whole thing about Christmas. And you may say, you're being too harsh. Well, okay, maybe I am being too harsh, but doesn't that do something to the soul? I mean, what is, it turns the soul in on itself? I mean, isn't that kind of what happens? Maybe you've heard about this. This is the, the hipster nativity. Have you heard about this? Someone came up with a modern-day nativity set. You know, you can buy the nativity set that has the, um, the manger and the shepherds and the wise men. And the hipster nativity is, if Jesus were born today, what would that look like? And so um, Joseph has a man bun, and Mary's got her iPhone making a duck face. Uh, the, sh- the shepherds are there on segways with gifts from Amazon Prime. Um, you can, and I'm, I'm serious about this. For $130, you can buy a modern nativity. Now, we found that there's a little commercial for it. Please ignore the website at the end, because if you buy this, I'm going to judge you. Um, but uh, just, <laughs> just watch this, okay? Check this out. buy that just buy me one and I won't judge you all right and I don't want to feel guilty about it right but that's that's kind of the deal isn't it we make Christmas we do things like that and really what we're doing when we do that is we're we're making Christmas about us we're making Christmas uh treating it like it's our birthday and I think that does something to the soul now 
to kind of counteract that, we're going through the Christmas story, and we're looking at the characters in the Christmas story. Last week we looked at the shepherds, next week we're going to look at Joseph. Um, but this week we're looking at Mary. Uh, Mary. Now, here's what I know when I say that. I know that there are basically three groups of people in the room. Uh, one, there is the group of people that you grew up either Catholic or Orthodox. And so when I talk about Mary, there's this kind of sense of reverence that comes over you. You might think of, oh, you're talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary. You think about the Rosary. You think about um, how sometimes in some uh, corners of the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, Mary is prayed to. Uh, Mary is thought of as being uh, uh, almost as perfect as Jesus. In fact, in some corners of the Catholic theology, you could, uh, th- there's the understanding that Mary was born sinless. That's the only way Jesus would have been born sinless, is that Mary was born sinless. And, and there's this old, uh, whole kind of almost cult of Mary. Um, and, but honestly, those kinds of things are really not, they're not in the Bible. Those are later additions someone added to, to Catholic theology, and I'm not throwing stones at that right now, but I just want you to know if you grew up in that environment, I'm not downplaying Mary. I'm not trying to offend you in some way as we talk about this. So that's, that's one group of you, and you're kind of like, oh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. All right, let's talk about Mary. Uh, there's another group of you that you may have grown up in church, and you didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, and so you're hearing me talk about Mary and then Catholics, and you're like, whoa, you're going to say something heretical because we know we don't worship Mary. But you're on the other side where you were, like me, you were raised and you were taught that Mary was really kind of inconsequential to the story of Jesus. I mean, she was the mother, she had to be there, but she's the girl in the bathrobe in the Christmas play, uh, and she's really not that important, and she's really not that uh, a, a huge a part of the story, and so she's Mary, meek and mild. She's not a revolutionary change agent or, or someone that we could model ourselves after. She's not someone who shows us how to live with a soul, and so you kind of have this diminished view of Mary. And what I want to do is I want to suggest to you, if that's your background, that Mary actually teaches us how to have a soul. And we have to see Mary for the large character that she is. And our Orthodox and Catholic friends actually have something to teach us about this because their understanding is that Mary is the true disciple. She's the one who really teaches us how to follow Jesus. She's a, the, the word for her is that she's the bearer of God. She brings God into the world, and so she's an example for us that we can also be bearers of God in the world. Now, that's, that's, there's two groups of you. The, th- the third group of you is you have no idea what I'm talking about, and you're like, who's Mary? I mean, I know there's a Mary person, but please just hope this all makes sense in the end, so could you get to the point, right? I know those are the kind of three groups that are in the room when I, when I talk about Mary. Now, what do we know about Mary? Well, Luke starts out his gospel a story about Mary And he says that she is from Nazareth. Now, here's what you need to know about the Bible and the people who wrote the Bible. When they write, especially the Gospels, what they're writing, the words that they include, nothing's by accident. Nothing's just thrown in there because that sounded good or I need some filler and I need it to be a little bit longer on my term paper. It's nothing nothing like that. Uh, It's words that are meant there, uh, put there for a reason to make a point. And here's the point that Luke wants us to see. Because Nazareth is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned anywhere in the ancient records. The only reason we really know about Nazareth is because of the the Christmas story and and Mary being from Nazareth and Jesus being born in Nazareth. And so there have been archaeological digs and they've gone back. There's there's a modern-day Nazareth today. But they found the ancient Nazareth, and they, uh, basically from the digs, assumed that it was a, a farming community of maybe 500 people. It might have been 1,000 or 2,000, but wasn't very big. And so it was just this kind of inconsequential place. In fact, later in the Gospels, Nathaniel, when he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, says, can anything good come from Nazareth? It'd be like, can anything good come from Couts? I mean, you know, can you even be, is that even okay? I mean, 
I, I was born, my parents were missionaries in uh, Africa, and I was born in Makwasa, Malawi, in southern Africa. And Makwasa is this very teeny tiny uh, farming community. Uh, it's not on any maps. You have to dig really hard to figure out where it is. It's in the middle of nowhere. You, you, you take a road, and you're only going to Makwasa. And you don't know anyone else from Makwasa other than me, because no one who comes from Makwasa ever amounts to anything, right? Including me, right? It's just no one, you just don't, you don't, you don't become anything when you're from a place like that. And this is what Luke is saying, is Nazareth is a place like that. And here's what Luke's saying when he says she's from Nazareth. He's saying, this is strike one. She's a nobody from nowhere. She's nothing. You shouldn't think anything of her because she's an absolute, complete, and nobody. And here's what, he, here's what he's saying. If nothing, if no one intersects her story and changes the trajectory of her life, here's what's going to happen to her. She's going to be one of those girls who maybe gets married, maybe she doesn't. If she gets married, she's going to have a little group of kids. If she doesn't die in childbirth, because childbirth was a dangerous thing in that time, if she doesn't die in childbirth, then her and her kids are going to have back-breaking, subsistence-level living eking out a living from the ground and then she's probably going to die in her late 30s or early 40s because that's the life expectancy and that's basically all that will ever come from this nobody girl from no place because it's strike one this is this is what luke wants us to see strike one and then he says that she's a virgin she's pledged to be married and we'll talk more about this when we talk about joseph next week so that means she's probably anywhere from 14 to 17 years old i would say she's probably 16 or 17 based on how she responds to what the angel says to her and this is, uh, she knows now that she's got maybe the hope of a decent life because someone said they wanted to marry her. And they named her then Mary. Now, some of you will like this. The name Mary means rebel. And Luke wants us to know she's a rebel. She's a fighter. Even though she comes from nowhere, she's a girl. She's got gumption. She's got chutzpah. She's got, she's got something, right? She says that. And so then the angel Gabriel talks to her and tells her not to be afraid. He says, listen, you're highly favored. And then drops this bombshell on her and says, you're going to be pregnant, Mary. You're going to have a baby. And she asks the question we would ask, well, how is this going to be? Now, we, we know, we, we've heard this story before, and we've heard about Mary and, and what her life is like. And we know, like anyone else would know, that if someone came to us and said, hey, I'm pregnant and the baby is from God, we're all going to be like, And especially if it's an unwed teenage mother, we're all going to go, right. And here's what Luke is communicating to us. Here's what he wants us to know. Strike one, she's a nobody from nowhere. Strike two, she's an unwed teenage mother. Now, this is, this is why, and this is what Luke's trying to tell us, this is why our soul gets crushed. Because we live in a two-strike world. You don't have to live for long to know that you've got two strikes against you in life. And you, 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 if you, you live long enough, you go, it's not only is it a two-strike world, but the man, someone had just threw the pitch, and I think the third strike's coming. And this is why it crushes our soul, because we assume that the third strike is just around the corner, and it's why we crumble, and it's why we go numb, and it's why we lose our hope, because we, we just say, it's two strikes, man, and so we just accept our fate, we take our place, we put our head down, and we say, well, that, I guess that's just what life is like. You know, if you're born here, this is all, you're, all you can expect. If you're born into my family, I mean, this is the best that you can become. And here's, here's what I want to say, and, is that these are all excuses we make that excuse us from responding to what God actually says to us. Because here's what we do. We see our circumstances, and they seem too overwhelming to us. Yeah, I'm only from a, a Nazareth. What good can come from that? 
And you know what? You're right. There's nothing good comes from the region. And so what happens is that everything in life seems to confirm what the tapes in our head and our heart say to us. And so this is what crushes our soul. It's why we lose our soul. Because we don't know what to do about the things that we see. Now, this is what Mary does that's so different, and it's the key to getting your soul back. She, uh, like us, she, she lived in the two-strike world. But she, here's what she did. She saw her circumstances, but she heard from God. And instead of believing her circumstances, she believed what she heard from God. So she, right, I'm from Nazareth. I get it. I understand. I'm a pregnant teenager. I get it. But she hears what the angel says. Listen, but you're going to give, you're going to bear a baby and his name is going to be Jesus. Jesus, the name is a Hebrew word for um, God saves. And he's going to save his people and he's going to rule his people. And he's going to do everything that he promised he would do for his people through you, Mary. So here's what she, here's what happened. She heard what God said and it trumped what she saw in the circumstances of her life. This made all the difference. Now she asked a legitimate question along the way. She said, how is this going to be? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm 15, I'm 16, I know the birds and the bees, I've not been with a man, how is this going to be? And so the angel recounts for her, he says, basically, listen, like God hovered over the waters at creation and spoke, and there was something out of nothing, Mary, he's going to hover over your womb, and there will be a baby in your womb, and that's how it's going to happen. In fact, example A is look at your cousin Elizabeth, and if you were to go back in Luke, just a few verses in Luke chapter 1, you'd read the story of her cousin Elizabeth, who's probably in her late 50s, early 60s, her and her husband Zechariah have never been able to have kids, and she in her old age is now pregnant, and the angel says to Mary, hey Mary, that is what, example A of what God does, and then verse 37 is the, is the kicker, verse 37, the angel says to her, for nothing is impossible with God, and here's what Mary did, she heard what God said, and it, oh, it trumped what she saw in the circumstances of her life, and so she didn't lose heart, and she didn't lose her soul, now this is, here, here it is, this is the moment of turning, this is the moment of destiny for Mary. This is the key in the doorway that unlocked a different life for Mary. It's what she said in verse 38. It's what the Beatles wrote the song about. This is what she says in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. God, I know what my circumstances look like. I know that I live in a two-strike world. I know that there is way more against me than I can ever overcome. But you see something different? I believe it, so let it be to me according to your word. Now, what in the world do we do with this? And how in the world do you get your soul back? Because Mary's an example of someone who lives with a soul. I, I want to suggest to you that there are three things about Mary that we need to imitate. And I want, you know what I mean when I say imitate, right? You just do what that person did. If you see someone with something that you, the kind of person that you want to be in life, just imitate what they do. And you can get the kind of life that they have. So imitate the things about Mary. Here's the first thing, is that you're going to have to act like Mary. Here's what Mary did. She lived by faith and not by sight. Now that's actually a phrase from the Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to Christians in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we live by faith, not by sight. What in the world does that mean? Well, if you had to go to the doctor and the doctor said to you, you know, you need to, you need to have surgery. And you would have some questions. You would say, well, okay. Um, why well, do I need to have surgery? And the doctor would explain. And then you would ask questions like, okay, well, have you done this surgery before? Yeah, I, I do it seven times a week. And uh, How many of these have you done? Well, you know, I've done 3,000 of them. And, well, how, how, what's your success rate? Well, it's 97%. Well, 
what happens is you hear those things. Your faith goes up in the doctor's abilities, doesn't it? It goes up, goes up, goes up. But let's say you go back, uh, you know, a few weeks later, and there's a pre-op appointment, and the doctor just says, listen, this is a, a unique surgery, and I want to explain to you everything that's going to happen in the surgery and what you're going to experience. And so the doctor brings with him into the room this tray of all the instruments that he's going to use. Like, this is the scalpel that I'm going to cut into you with, and then I'm going to use this to spread your bones apart. And you start to go, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, it's not that your faith in the doctor is going down. It's just that your sight is overcoming your faith, right? What you see makes you go, I don't know if I can do that. Because see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. See, you t- what I can see with my limited perspective, this. And because I can see this, I don't believe there's more than I can see because I'm telling you, I can see. See, it's our sight that limits us because we're limited human beings. But what Mary did is she lived by faith and not by sight. She heard what God said and said, God must see something I don't. So I'm not going to count on what my eyes can see around me. So we move forward in life based on what God has said, not what we currently see. See, all we see is the pitch that was just thrown to us. We don't see the whole ballgame. So what Mary did, if you're going to imitate Mary's faith, you have to see, Mary basically said this, listen, God, you see the whole ballgame, so let it, let it be to me according to your skill. So you got to act like Mary. The second is you've got to have Mary's perspective because we're fixated on us. We're fixated on the fact that I was born here and I have this amount of money and I've got this amount of education and this is the family I was born into. And, and the difference for Mary was she had all of those same things and could have made all of those same excuses. But the difference for Mary was that she understood that something was being planted in her. There was, the difference for her was Jesus, right? Her, her strike one, right? You're, from a, you're a, a nobody from nowhere. You're from a town that people never amount to anything from. And you're, you're an unwed teenage mother? I mean, that's like strike one, strike two. The thing that intersects her story is Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one. So Jesus is like, okay, all right. She accepts then what is planted in her. Now, this is a, this is a metaphor. It's a thing for you and I. Because hope is an inside job. Hope is, from, is what's inside. It comes from what's inside us, not what's outside of us, not from our circumstances. Christmas is not about getting presents. It's about getting hope. Hope is Jesus living in you. And this is the message of Christianity. It's the message of Christmas. It's that what's in you can be larger than what is outside of you. So here's what Mary does. Here's what Mary's response. Mary says, in effect, listen, I see what life has brought me. I see the circumstances. I see that there are two strikes. But let it be to me according to your perspective, God. Now, the third thing would be this, is that you've got to copy Mary's humility. I don't know um, all the circumstances about why the Beatles wrote that song. I mean, they wrote the song, Paul McCartney wrote the song from this story. um, And I'm not exactly sure all that he was trying to evoke. It's a great song. Um, But the way that often gets interpreted when Mother Mary comes to me in my times of trouble, you know, let it be, let it be. The way m- most people interpret that is they, they interpret that to mean, okay, well then when something difficult comes into my life, what I need to do is choose a different attitude. I need to just chill and everything's going to be okay magically. Um, that's, that's option A. That's not what Mary did. Mary didn't just, okay, well I'll just chill and I'm going to choose a different attitude about this. She, she said, let it be to me according to your word. So option A is that uh, it's about us, right? We just choose a different attitude, but option B is about faith. I'm going to commit to do whatever it is that God says to me. So Mary says, in effect, listen, let it be to me 
according to your word. I'm going to do whatever you say because you see something that I don't. Now, Christmas is not your birthday. So you're going to, in the middle of the rush of Christmas where you can so easily lose your soul, Mary is an example to us of the kind of faith that God can give to us. You can, you can have Mary's perspective. You can copy Mary's humility. You can do the things that Mary did, but you have to, you have to ask for them. You have to hear what God has said to you, and then you just have to say, okay, let it be to me according to your word. So here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like you to take an inventory of your life, and I'm going to just kind of guide you through this. And, and I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if, you, if you'd be willing to do that. Um, no one's, this is kind of your moment for you to take an inventory of your life and where you are. And I wonder if you act like Mary, if you live more by faith or more by sight. And if you live more by sight, ask God for more faith in your way. And then if you have uh, Mary's perspective, I wonder what your hope quotient is like. What, how full of hope are you? Or how overwhelmed are you by your circumstances? How convinced are you that your circumstances are going to win? It's going to be strike three and it's going to be over for you. And ask God for the hope that Jesus brings. And now this may be the first time for you that you uh, say, okay, God, I'm going to let you in. It may be that you've known Jesus for a long time, but you know this is, again, I need to accept what has been planted in me. And let the hope of God be born in your heart. And then what's your humility quotient? How humble are you? Are you willing to um, put down what you think is best for your life? And are you willing to do whatever God says to you? Maybe you're too proud to do that. Admit that to God. He already knows. You ask for the gift of humility. pray for you. Lord, uh, there are so many of us uh, at Christmas time, um, though on the outside we look like we've got it all together, we're really crushed. And we're, uh, we're crumbling. And we, we just don't know what to do. Uh, we're reminded of someone we've lost either just recently or a long time ago. Um, and this is not a time of joy for us. This is a time of sadness. And so we don't really know how to get our soul back in the middle of our grief. And some of us, uh, this just re Christmas just reinforces that life is about us. It's not about anybody else. And we buy the message. And so, Jesus, we need, um, we need the same thing that you gave to Mary. We need the hope that you plant, only you can plant in us. That, uh, that you're the thing that keeps the third strike from knocking us out. And 
unless you come into our story, it's, that's it. That's, that's the end for us. And so, God, we want that. And we ask for that at Christmas this year as our Christmas present. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing. I'd invite you to stand, if you would. And you'll see some people around you with their hands like this. This is just their way of saying, I'd like to receive a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay, too. Just receive this blessing. Afterwards, our prayer team will be down front. If you need prayer for any issue, they'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, may you know the love of God for you, uh, that he came in the form of a baby to a nobody from nowhere, and so he can come to you. May you know the love of God that's bigger than your life and bigger than your circumstances. You're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.